you know there's a beer company named Middlebrow? No. What? I just Googled Middlebrow because I was trying to find our intro. <laughs> what is the... <laughs> can they sponsor us? <laughs> oh my God. Can we ask them to sponsor us? Experimental beers from the Middlebrow. Drink good. Do better. I'm clicking on it. Hold on. <laughs> I'm drink. This is the first time I'm drinking beer in a very long time too. So that is, oh, wow. I feel like a like a sign. Kismet. Uh, oh my God! Middlebrow on Wikipedia says describes easily accessible art. What? Usually literature. It's a thing. We thought we made this <gasps> up, and it's not made up. <laughs> easily accessible art, usually literature, and the people who use arts to acquire culture and class. In parentheses, social privilege. Oh, sorry. Prestige. <laughs> Social prestige. A little bit different. Yeah. A little, slightly. <laughs> First used in British satire magazine Punch in 1925. The term middlebrow is an intermediary brow descriptor between highbrow and lowbrow. <gasps> That's Which what are it terms is. derived from pseudoscience and phrenology. We fucking win. <laughs> or do we lose? Because we're or not as we creative suck. as we thought. We thought we were so cool. Hmm. Hi, guys. This is Middlebrow. This is my best friend, Olive Moya. This is my best friend, Lindsay Schultz. Hi. You're so beautiful always. Always. I'm in a rope. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Okay. This is Middlebrow. Yeah, welcome. This is Middlebrow. Mostly contemporary. Can we even keep saying that? Yeah, I think because we're not doing like Leonardo da Vinci. Next week, Rembrandt. (laughs) (laughs) There was an entire Rembrandt. A show at the Denver Art Museum, and I it was cool for like a second, and then I was like, "All right, I'm out of here." <laughs> the etching aspect was really cool. Uh, welcome to Middlebrow, a mostly contemporary art podcast hosted by completely average humans artists. We talk about art. We try to be interesting. <laughs> we I talk in such so a different hard. voice. I talk like in my phone voice, like when I answer the phone and it's someone in like the doctor's office. Hello. Hello? Uh-huh. 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 We talk about art. We try to be interesting for artists and for people who might want to know about art but are intimidated. Trust me, we're right there with you. Woo! Today's episode is Katherine Bradford, She's otherwise so known as Kathy. So unlike most of the artists that we've done so far, I don't know anything about her. Yay. I hope you like her. This is going to be full reaction in the moment. Yes. I don't even know how I found her. She's like a little lesbian grandma. And I love, well, she actually is a grandma, I think. Yes, she has grandchildren. Catherine Bradford is an American abstract painter whose kinetic, playful brushwork renders universal themes of humanity, vulnerability, hubris, and joy. I put this at the beginning because I think it just gives a little snapshot into mm-hmm. to just start us off vulnerability and humanity is definitely a huge part of her work she describes her own work as in three words some like interviewer asked mm-hmm. her to describe her own work as sparkly peopled landscapes that's such a good description why is she so cute and it's true <laughs> she's born in 1942 so quick math Lindsay. she's 76 don't, or 77 don't look at it. <laughs> Damn it i covered it up on my own computer <laughs> um in new york city should we sing it again in the city (laughs) in the city 
what is the next line <laughs> i just repeat it and say in the city again <laughs> which is over and over in the city so she got her BA from Bryn Mawr College and her MFA from SUNY, S-U-N-Y, which I found out was the State University of New York at Purchase. I don't still know don't really know what that is. Either of these colleges. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You don't have to go to like a fancy, you know, doesn't matter. Uh, She taught a bunch, most recently at the Yale School of Art, mm. 2016 and 2017. Uh, before that, she was in the MFA faculty at Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts, and she was resident faculty at Skowhegan Hagen Skowhegan Skowhegan School of Painting and Sculpture. Damn, Skowhegan's huge. Everyone in my class who graduated from CalArts all applied to Skowhegan residency at the same time, and two people got it, which was a huge percentage. Wow, like one place. Yeah, like a fifty um, percentage. <laughs> 50% of people who go. Four what? People. I don't know what this map Did is. Did four people? <laughs> so are you telling me that you didn't get in? You no, were one I of applied the four? and I did not get in. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't actually me. know that you did that. I'm just going to start crying now. <laughs> um, but I feel okay because many, many, many other people don't get into and everyone applies to Skowhegan. Wow. I didn't even know about it and I obviously didn't look it up and... I just felt like it. she seemed cool. So she has been awarded um, the American Academy of Arts and Letters, a Paula Krasner Foundation grant, a Joan Mitchell Foundation grant, a Guggenheim Fellowship, and has work held in collections such as the Metropolitan Museum of Art, Brooklyn Museum of Art, and the Portland Museum of Art. It's like amongst, whatever. Yeah. Amongst Who doesn't many have others. that? Right. <laughs> Let's keep into consideration that she started way later off than any of us. What do you mean? Uh, like she didn't start off making art in the beginning. She was a mom of kids and then decided to ditch her life and like left to. Oh, I'm really? tell you about it okay, right now. I was like, you didn't explain any of that. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to. She lives both in New York City and Maine and has a studio in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. She also has a studio wow. in Maine. So I don't know what the fuck I'm trying to <laughs> delineate. She's represented by Canada in New York. That's a gallery. It's confusing. So uh, she was in an interview, and the interviewer had said, I pointed out her habit of deflecting discussion away from herself, and she says, the way it was brought up, you didn't talk about money, you didn't talk about being sick, and you don't talk about yourself. Uh, that was in her hyperallergic interview. They do like a beer with a painter series. Mm. And so that's kind of how the interview started out. So I just thought I'd throw that in there because she kind of is – and, and she does talk about herself and she has really good discussions with people. But mm. you get the sense of her that when you're talking to her, she's more wants to know about you. And I find that so endearing and mm -hmm. interesting. And I want so hard to be that person. That's a good way to be. No one would ever describe me that way. My biggest thing is I get so nervous with introductions. I never remember people's names. <gasps> I'm the same. I'm like, <laughs> don't fuck up your own name. Don't fuck up your own name. <laughs> That's what I think every time someone's talking I'm like to me. waiting for my cue like, and three, two, one. Hi, I'm Lindsay. <laughs> That's how I am too. I've gotten better at asking again, but it's it's every time it just feels like I'm an asshole. And I really am not. I'm just so petrified of being social that I can't remember your name. The thing I'm trying to do is when they're like, hi, I'm Alicia. Then I go, hi, Alicia. And then like try to make a point of That's it. That's such a good idea. Okay. 
Childhood. Catherine started making art much later in life. And in that same interview, Jennifer asks her about her childhood and making art. And to this, she says, you've asked this question to all of your artists, which means she's done her research. She's Mm -hmm. looked at everything that this interview has done. I love it. Catherine. Okay. So she said, you've asked this question of all of your artists and they've all said yes and told you wonderful stories about how they drew as a kid. And it makes me feel so bad. I was not an artistic child at all. I was very active as a teenager. I was on the tennis team and I was on the swim team. Is that surprising? Engraved in my memory is the image of people in swimsuits lined up. So that's interesting because that leads into her swim, swimming people. I mean, that's not surprising. When I was in high school, I played tennis and basketball and I rode horse. I still ride horses. Mm-hmm. I don't think you need to be fit into this idea of being an artist and being an outcast. And like on break, you're doodling in the art room. I kind of was though. <laughs> But I agree, you don't have to fit into that. It doesn't have to be. If you like drop out of all your classes and take three classes of AP art, that's fine too. Just do that. So that makes sense. Her swim, her swimsuit people. Yeah. Her engraved memory of her swimsuit people is interesting. Yeah. Uh, Talking about art, how art maybe influenced her childhood. She says that her mother was super visual, that she had like Matisse postcards around the kitchen sink and... She'd look at them while she was doing dishes and stuff and that she loved architecture and they lived in a town in Connecticut where Philip Johnson's glass house was. And I didn't know what this was. So I looked it up and it's so fucking cool. Huh? That's beautiful. That's way too vulnerable for me at night. So vulnerable. But I don't think anyone actually lives there. (laughs) I think it's like a museum. (laughs) But yeah, it's just glass on all sides. And then there's like this center... I'm assuming that's a bathroom. I don't really know. Hmm. It's like this center cylinder. It's really pretty. That's really nice. And it's all surrounded by grass and trees. Oh, this is like Wolfgang's house. It's basically Wolfgang's house. Yeah, except not in the middle of nowhere. So it's funny because her mother was the daughter of an architect and then ended up being the mother of an architect. So Really? Yeah. So she kind of was avoiding the arts thing, but she was surrounded by it. She couldn't escape. Catherine was or the mom? Uh, the mom kind of she'd go so anyway her mom and her would go to the glass house often when she was young she remembers there was a klaus oldenburg sculpture of a life-size hamburger on the coffee table at the glass house and that her mother and a friend were kind of giggling about it and she was a teenager and she remembers stepping away from them because she was really embarrassed and didn't want to be associated with them because they were laughing at it and she wanted to be like, no, this is art. So she already as a teenager had this idea of like what art was. I would think as a teenager, you would just, if your parents were laughing or someone you knew was laughing, you would. It's impressive to me that she's already in a place where she's identifying what is art and what's not. Yeah, especially when it seems like there really wasn't many people talking about art in mm-hmm. her family or she didn't have like a reference point. Uh, but she said, I thought they were being irreverent. Even though I was 12 years old, I thought it was a great work of art, witty and courageous. In that town, to have a hamburger on your coffee table was just wonderful. I knew I needed to find out more about this world where people make hamburgers as works of art. (laughs) Which makes me love her. So, yeah, this is, I don't know which one was in, I couldn't find which one Hmm. exactly. He's made many of them. But that's an example there. 
so another fun story about her family is that her grandfather, that architect guy, mm-hmm. had Salvador Dali over for lunch once. What? Yeah, they were kind of like in the same... They were all artists, and I think that's why the mother, her Catherine's mother, mm-hmm. kind of like went away from artists because mm-hmm. she saw like a lot of... I think I talk about it, but like divorce and craziness and whatever uh but so they kind of ran in that circle so he had salvador dolly over for lunch and supposedly dolly was super rude because he sent back the crab salad and asked for a hard-boiled egg which is so funny to me and so specific (laughs) and also when i was in elementary school i did a project on salvador dolly Mm -hmm. and i drew that like i had to draw a picture of him that one with his like mustache being super weird and stuff and so it totally just fits in my mind that he would ask for a fucking hard-boiled egg. I'm That's sorry. So if someone weird. gave me crab, I wouldn't be like, can I just have a hard-boiled egg, please? If you can mess up a hard-boiled egg, Yeah, here's an expensive, delicious thing. Like, I've never asked anyone for a hard-boiled egg, ever. Were they out at a restaurant or just at the house? At their house. <gasps> That's so mean. Yeah, they, like, had him over for lunch, and they were being super nice. I have to boil this, so it'll be about 15 minutes. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I don't have any ready for you, Salvador, but I could boil one. Yes, would you please? So, yeah, her grandparents came over from France in the 1930s, and they were kind of in the art scene, like I said. And she said, my mother had been exposed to all of this and didn't want us sliding over into bohemian circles. She was trying to protect us and give us the best life that she knew, and and it didn't include being an artist. I think she equated that with alcoholism, drug addiction, divorce, and other dissolute forms of life. So that's why her mom was like, please don't be an artist. So she didn't. So Kathy went to an all-girls boarding school. Is that her nickname, Kathy? Yeah, people call her Kathy, like with an E, like K-A-T-H-E. She wanted to be where things were happening. So she became the editor of the school newspaper. She says, I've always liked being in a group. Community, as much as art making, has been a constant in my life. I Ooh. want to not be in a group. <laughs> I know. I will be alone forever and it will be happy. Mm-hmm. One of the first things I read about her was how she's involved in the art community, going to shows and supporting other artists all the time. Oh, I and, wish I could do that. Right? And she's, I mean, she's fucking 76 or 77. And her Instagram is half of her art but it's mostly other people's art wow she just takes photos of their stuff goes to shows and like promotes them takes a bunch of photos of their show and posts it up and says how amazing it is and she's constantly asking for studio visits all the time and yeah and she has little i think i wrote this in here but it's better if i just say it Mm -hmm. she has all these little black notebooks and she writes down all these notes about what people said in her studio visits she has like millions of them just around and she'll go back and read them when she's feeling like she wants to think about things or get better at her art she said oh yeah she's a huge believer of having a billion studio visits and listening to what other people have to say Mm -hmm. and she says isn't that key i learned so much when i solicit opinion and i make a lot of mistakes i fall in love with paintings that aren't really very good and so (laughs) the thing is she said she has people come and she'll like kind of set things up like put the ones that she really likes up and around Mm -hmm. 
And she said the people will just walk right past them and go rifling through her, all the paintings that are like stacked up against each other that she doesn't like. And they'll find these ones and be like, oh, I love this one. And this is why. And she's like, I didn't even like that one at all. So she's kind of learning to look at things through other people's eyes. Mm -hmm. And then she asks them why and they talk about it. So I love that about her. And I I love the idea of studio visits. And I really like being at openings when i'm there Mm -hmm. it just takes so much for me to get out there i'm the exact same way when i'm there i feel happy Mm -hmm. i I don't talk as i think a lot of it is also fear like i don't talk as much as i want and so Mm -hmm. when i'm too scared to talk to someone then i leave and i feel really defeated and then i don't want to do it again yeah so whereas if i just were in the moment and i could just enjoy Mm -hmm. being there looking at the work in person i think i would relax but I have this preconceived notion. If I did all this work to get the fuck out here and no. drive 30 minutes <laughs> into downtown, <clears throat> that I should get something out of it. And that's really not... Openings feel like such a performance. Mm-hmm. I spent a day walking around Tokyo to go to different art shows. And I loved it because it wasn't openings. I would just go in, look at the art. Openings are... It's all a social thing. You know, no one's really there, it feels like to look at the art like i want to be seen i want to talk to people but that has its own place and i wish i enjoyed that more when i go with a group of people whether it was otis people or cal arts people i felt like it was more fun Mm -hmm. but i didn't ever want to go to be seen you know some people are like i want to show my face and be there i'm like no one recognizes my face (laughs) it doesn't matter if i'm there or not yeah but you get to talk to more people that's the only thing is like I don't want to talk to people, mm-hmm. but I, but I do. I secretly do. When asked about what what advice that Kathy would give to emerging artists, she says, "Yes, make work and get feedback. A whole lot of early work just doesn't amount to much, and I had to be brutally honest about that. I make more work and ask people over to look at it. I'd ask people who would give me tough critiques." Not only did I listen to what they said, I wrote it all down and I have 15 black notebooks filled with studio notes taken over the years. Right after they left the studio, I'd write down what they said, especially the bad parts. Days and weeks and years later, I'd read over what I'd written. The same damn things kept coming up. Too tight, too self-conscious, too small, too afraid. Then once in a while, I'd do something someone liked and it would inevitably surprise me. You like that one? It's so sloppy, so vulnerable, so unskilled, so open, so revealing. It took me a long time to own up to the kind of artist I really was and let go of an urge to be a technically good artist whose paintings my parents would perceive as competent. In fact, I'm still working on this. I think we can all relate to that. Right? I love that whole thing. She's Mm -hmm. just so... And really, her paintings are about vulnerability, but she, as a person, is about it. She's just so honest about how she feels and what she's doing and when she doesn't know stuff and what she's trying to learn. And especially, I don't know why I have this perception, but in an older quote-unquote older person Mm -hmm. i so respect that because i feel like i grew up around not anyone in particular but just like in a world where older people know what the fuck they're doing Mm -hmm. and it just was so it's so nice to be like because i still don't feel like i know what i'm doing i thought at 30 i would know and i feel like now i'm like uh 40 y'all know and i probably Mm -hmm. won't like maybe no one really knows what they're doing and i find comfort in the, the fact that she's just so open about I restarted my life midway through 
and I still don't know what I'm doing, but that's okay. I'm happy or whatever it is. Yeah. It really resonates with me. The part where she's talking about how she would set up her favorite paintings in the beginning and then Mm -hmm. kind of let people discover the other stuff because I feel like that's so frequently where I want to lead with what I think is my best work. I'm like, show this and attach this image. And when I apply it for things, I have my specific projects that are my Mm go-to. Definitely might not be my best works. I haven't had these conversations where people want to be like, that's the work that's the most vulnerable and the most revealing about you. Maybe that's the thing, being around people that maybe don't know you that well or know you super well or people that like just a confidence to say, like, I feel like if I went over to someone's studio, it'd be really hard for me, at least at this point in my life, to be like, Mm -hmm. for sure that's this and that is that and whatever. So her entire Instagram, like I said, is filled with other people's work, which makes me love her so much more. She's again like i said constantly going to openings having studio visits posting about other people's work to support them and she's very insta savvy for being 76 or 77 and these examples of some of my favorite posts of hers one is just like a college ruled sheet of paper super shoddily ripped out like all over the place on once on the left side and uh, from top to bottom on a d- diagonal, like left to right diagonal, down is um, like just a woman's profile. And the first one is just like regular seeming. And then as you go down, the the, the neck becomes less defined. And then <laughs> at the bottom, the bottom two, like a lump protrudes from the bottom and it's supposed to be a double chin and in her comment it just says a history of my own double chin and that's all it's just a picture of that drawing and then it says a history of my own double chin which is so good and then there's another one that says studio door is her caption and it's a picture of a door knob like a door handle and then above it, it's gold. And then above it is uh, must be her drawing or painting on the door in red paint of a door handle. And then her hand is reaching for it. Uh, I love both of those things. Because so what it is, is it reminds me of how I have grown away from, you know, when you're in school, you're just like, you just do whatever the fuck you want. You draw on random shit. Mm-hmm. You, you just start creating constantly. You stop overthinking things and you just create shit. I don't feel like I could draw on a door if I felt like it. I'm renting. Like, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> so it just, like, go, gets in the way. And so I mm-hmm. feel, not just that, but other things, too. It's just, like, I can't just do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. But I would love to get back in that headspace again. So I think that's really. But that, I think, is also our, like, rule-following idea. Because if you wanted to just be like, well, I'm going to draw on the door. You could easily just paint over it when you move. That's so true. And there's just something about us being like, uh, that's outside of what I feel is productive and appropriate yeah. creation. I think I think too much about what my parents will think of me. <laughs> Uh, okay, so this is really weird because I can't find evidence of this anywhere else. So when I was looking at my Instagram stuff and went on her thing, I scrolled down and one of the first things that caught my eye in the grid of Instagram posts was this shot of these pancakes. It's like mm-hmm. a, a bunch of black canvases and on them in fluorescent pink paint 
are stacks of pancakes and they have big squares of butter on them and syrup running down the sides. I can't find, I guess she just recently made these because I can't find them anywhere. They've never been shown. They've never, it's just in this post. The only other thing I've ever found of it was this painting on the left, which there was just like construction outside of her studio in Brooklyn. And she just decided to get some white paint and go out there and paint these pancakes. And so she just painted these pancakes and then eventually it was just destroyed when this construction was over and it was gone. Did she state that these were hers and not just someone she saw? Oh, no, she did this. Yeah. She told the story of it. She just like saw the construction slates Mm -hmm. of whatever, like plywood, went up to her studio, grabbed some white paint and a brush and came back down and just painted these really quick and took a picture of it. And then it was there for a little while. And like I said, then it got torn down. But um, and then she also some some company made like a like a notebook or something with like an artist series. And one of them was these pancakes and it was Hmm. hers. But that's the only other time I've seen it is this random public art thing. Mm -hmm. And then these paintings and then it was just on a notebook that's discontinued now. Wow. Okay. Uh, but this this post was in 2019 already. So these are brand new, these pink ones, pink and black ones. Hmm. Okay, so her pre-art life. This is her. Oh. With her two twin babies. Twins? Twins. Do twins run her family or were they like in I, <laughs> I will call her and ask her, but I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> she has twins. Those are the only two kids that she has. Okay. So in the 70s, she's living in Maine with her two children and her husband, who was trying to become the governor of Maine. Jeez. He's like a super ambitious guy and in politics and stuff. And she said, when I realized the implications of that, I thought, this is going to be a train wreck. I didn't want to get divorced, but I didn't think I could be the first lady in a governor's mansion. Hmm. So she just was starting to feel this dread of this is where he's going and that's not for me. Mm-hmm. So one day her husband was having people over for lunch and she knew that this was going to happen and she's like, I can't do this. And she told him, I can't hack it. And <laughs> so then she she says in the interview, like, I just didn't want to be there for one more lunch. Like I couldn't. So she sees them coming down the driveway like to her house and she jumps out a window (laughs) (laughs) so dramatic like it's her own house she probably could have just like found a door somewhere in the back but no she jumps out of a window that's when you know something's wrong yeah yeah your life is maybe not going the way you feel like it it should go when you jump out of a window get away (laughs) to get away from a situation so and then she had this barn kind of in the back of their house and she was using it to paint and she didn't really like she had no plans for being a painter or mm-hmm. whatever. She just liked to do it. So she ran to her studio. Aww. And that was the beginning of the end of that part That's of her life. such a symbolic moment. I know. I love it. I love that story so much. So then she comes out as being gay and she said, hmm. I think when I was young, I didn't have the imagination to be a lesbian. As a woman of my generation, the message I got was to marry the most important person I could and help him further his career. Probably the most difficult thing I did was break the contract and go off on my own. I know it's nothing to this generation of women, but it was a huge deal then. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I can't believe I did it. 
Wow. I can't, literally can't ever imagine doing something like that. It seems so hard and so scary. But I guess if you have something as intrinsic or just something that who you are Mm -hmm. in you isn't resonating with what you've done in your life or where you're at in your life, Mm -hmm. you kind of have no choice but to be like, I'm out. I can't do this anymore. But man, that that has to be the hardest thing. Everyone was probably like, stop it. Stop being like a crazy (laughs) person. Yeah. Every time she leaves the house, she just jumps out of the So this is her partner of 27 years. Her name is Jane. Mm. The funniest thing about this photo is that it's it's not a photo of the two of them. <laughs> she posted it and said 27 years together with like a heart and it says hashtag December anniversary hashtag Catherine Bradford. But um, it's they're on the same couch. It's just like literally she cut two photos and paste it up where the couch is supposed to be and it's the two of them but i thought that was a funny photo of them they and were like so her young arm reaches into the neck like through the cut she cut, she cut out the arm because that's where it was <laughs> it's so funny but i like this photo of how young they were mm-hmm. and how she looked at that time she looks like exactly the same just her hair is darker basically yeah. <laughs> and her eyebrows are darker uh, but she says that this was way that she was way more closeted about making paintings. She says, quote, and that's an interesting place to be when you're eventually going to be living with a woman and marrying a woman. But I had to be in the closet about being an artist. Coming out as a gay person was actually easier for me what is- than coming out as like, I want to be a painter. <laughs> hmm. Uh, So at the time, she was just making paintings in her barn, which is she also refers to as her studio. Mm -hmm. And she hadn't taken any art classes or anything. And her idea Mm -hmm. of painting was just to dip the brush in paint and put it on the canvas. That's still something I advise artists do. Just put the paint on the canvas. Hmm. She says, this is another quote. Yes, I started out as an abstract painter. The first artist I ever met were the ones I knew in Maine. Some of them were living in yurts out in the country. I'd go out there for poetry readings. Their yurts reeked of turpentine and basil and wood smoke too. It was very seductive. And there were a whole bunch of painters living nearby in Portland. I met Don Voicine and Maury Colton in the 70s. They couldn't stop talking about Jackson Pollock and Clifford Still. Eventually, I found my own heroes when I read Marcia Tucker's article in Art Forum about Joan Snyder's stroke paintings. I think there was an Agnes Martin on the cover of that issue. I can remember sitting up in bed holding that magazine as if I just had a religious conversion. Matt Blackwell was painting in Portland, too. I own very early works by all of them. It's such a powerful moment. Yes. Yes. So she moves back to New York in 79. I may not have put this part in, but she was a single mom of two kids. She brought her kids with her. So it's just her and her kids in this tiny apartment in New York. And she felt like she was crazy for doing this. She said her son or somebody, oh, her son is a writer now. She said her son has written about her, I think in the foreword of her book. She has like a book of her paintings that just came out. She said that in the foreword, he writes about her and that time period, like becoming an artist and moving out on her own with them. And that he remembers like the 
Oh, this was in the video about her. That's why I didn't write it down. And where was the governor? <laughs> Who knows? Probably in Maine. I wonder if he ever became the governor. I didn't even look into it. Hmm. Uh, and that she had one of those, what are those called? When it's just like a burner. It's like a stove, but it's just a like hot one plate? little. A hot plate, yeah. <laughs> and her son writes about how she just had this hot plate and she would make dinner on the hot plate and they just didn't have fucking anything. And they were just in um. the middle of this tiny apartment in New York. But she was trying to be an artist, so she really did it all the way. Her first paintings were kind of landscape paintings inspired by, I looked these up, Arthur B. Dove and Marsden Hartley. It's kind of like graphic, flat-looking landscape paintings. And she talks a lot about landscape painters in Maine because Maine is like a specific type of landscape. with They have like mud flats and the coast and stuff and like boats and harbors and all that so she talks a lot about that that fancy um, pants landscape yeah so she stopped With boat shoes and yeah, striped so shirts many, so many boat shoes and striped shirts there's yachts uh anchor people, pendants <laughs> they love anchor pendants i mean i i just when i go to maine i buy one every single time mm-hmm. have you ever been to maine nope <laughs> me neither <laughs> Sounds like a great place. It's, everyone says it's beautiful. Maine in the fall, am I right? It's the best time. <laughs> it's my favorite season in my favorite place. <laughs> uh, so she stopped working abstractly because she wanted more emotion to tell stories. Uh, here's an example, pretty much one of the only examples I found of her abstract work. It's called Spring Green. 1988. I was born in 1988, so I was either hmm. a bun in the oven or I was just born. Mm, same. Um, and that's when she was making shit. So it's just kind of like a, kind of does look like a landscape in a way. There's like a white ground. At the top, there's like a hor- hor- thin horizon with this like olive green. And then there's these yellow dots and just like a black line with, it's like a place to place to place. It looks like mm-hmm. Like a map almost. Um, I like this piece. I do too. Oh, and it has the ghost images. So a lot of her paintings have like these ghost images on the back. Like she started making something and she just painted over it, Hmm. which I love about her work. Again, with the vulnerability and the honesty and stuff. So she says, I began as a mark maker and I wanted to say somewhat in that vocabulary. I didn't want to get into the tradition of figure painting or use perspective or shadows. I like spare, simple paintings. I admire Rose Wiley's work so much. When I want more courage, I look at the way she draws a leg. It is even one step farther than Philip Guston. She's very personal. She's invented a way to make paintings and paint figures. Huh. She said the most important artists would only talk to other important artists. So I had no one to talk to. Mm. And that's what she's talking about when she was going to openings in the 80s when she moved to New York with her two young kids. Um, she went out and made her little tribe, which we were talking about, mm-hmm. of people like Chris Martin, who I think eventually I will do an episode on. I kind of like yeah. his work. Uh, who she's very close to now. He has done a million studio visits with her. And he's very, he did one that was like an interview and he's very hard on her. It's interesting. Really? Mm-hmm. He's just like honest and he'll like go really far with an idea and then she'll be super honest with him back. Like, never thought about that. <laughs> like, he'll be like, what about this, 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 and this? And she's like, never thought about it before. Um, 
She went to Brooklyn where she where there really wasn't an art community at the time and made friends with artists much younger than herself. That's so fine. age is just a number. Exactly, right? Especially with unless her, you're like, dating, <laughs> then it's the law. <laughs> Do not date someone who is 17 if you are 29 or if you're 40. One of the main bodies of work like right after the abstract stuff is mm-hmm. like Superman and ships. So she does painting after painting of ocean liners. What a weird combination. I know. The weirdest combination. She does painting after painting of the ships can have like sails and stuff or they're like ocean liners that kind of look like Titanic. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then paintings of Superman. He's either flying or floating or like sitting in his weird like landscape, surrealist landscape. So yeah, you can see in these ones... He's flying and there's like a line showing where he flew from and then mm-hmm. the X is where he started at. <laughs> then there's one where he's like floating and there's like weird planet looking things. I um, really like the background to the the X and the zigzag one. Me too. It's like that underpainting shit mm-hmm. I was talking about. It's white, but it's not. Mm-hmm. He's just sitting in a chair. <laughs> there's one. Yeah, that one's called <laughs> The huge home. lollipops. He's sitting in a chair. Superman is sitting in a chair on like a grassy knoll. And there's like lollipop looking trees or something. They're like different colors. And a bunch of little tiny people in the background. Yeah, little tiny people. And like a pink sky. And then one of the trees is a giant S with its like glowing. It's like a narcissist backyard. (laughs) So he's just sitting at home. Um, And then this painting called page of ships is literally just that it's like one two three nine, nine three ships. by three <laughs> math yes. i wasn't all the way scrolled down <laughs> oh. uh it's nine ships and they're just like titanic looking ships with the smokestacks and they're just like in a grid but it's kind of her dimensional empty backgrounds and then other ones where there's like ships at night and they have glowing lights everywhere. This one, White Ship Chance Harbor, is um, it almost looks like a rainbow in the sky. It's like a dark night sky, and then there's just all these ships in the water beneath it. So it's still like landscape based, or there's grounds of it's like she sees herself as a color field kind of artist, but then she ends including these figures or references of some sort. Yeah, because color fields are mostly for abstract expressionist artists, right? Mm-hmm. There's not really identifiable things. Right. And these, but- I can see where that color field comes from. There's layered fields of color. And even mm-hmm. within the white, there's a ton of color. But there's still ships and figures and a bunch of things in them, too. Yes, for sure. A lot of people relate her to Rothko in that way, where she's got like blocks of color dividing up her pieces and then in her more recent work the figures become super big and they're like their own field of color so Hmm. it's definitely part of it but i mean they're figurative there's no getting around that she has like they rely on figures because again she's into this whole portraying emotions and telling a story so and rothko hates figures yeah he fucking hates them you know who he really hates Clifford, Clifford still. still. Just kidding. 
<laughs> so these Superman and ships were shown in her second solo show at a gallery called Edward Thorpe Gallery in 2000, in April in 2012 in Soho. But now that gallery moved to Chelsea. The press release describes the themes in this work as such. These icons of strength are reevaluated and rendered vulnerable. Oscillating between the playful and serious, the fictive and real, these enigmatic works often evoke an ominous, disconcerting sensation. When talking about the Superman work, they say Bradford's new works portray a poignant image of the quintessential figure, which is seen more flailing than flying, perhaps due to the weight of his burden or inertia. Breaking Hmm. the stereotype of the impregnable hero, the artist redefines the traditional notions of strength. And then then they say, Superman and ocean liner subjects become vehicles by which Bradford expresses the power of the latent poetic imagination and the direct pleasures inherent in the painting process. Um, So she says about humor in her work, you know, it was a big... That was a big breakthrough for me to realize I could be humorous in my work. I thought painters had to be earnest. I think my early work was very earnest, and I'm trying to get away from that because I think it's very constipating, (laughs) which I relate to. Really? Did you drink too much to talk? Yeah. (laughs) It's empty. (laughs) Okay. Swimmers. Swimmers, swimmers. I'm sorry this is taking so... I feel so... I I take it back. I don't like presenting because I feel like it's taking it long. It's taking it long. It's taking so long and you're bored. Do I look bored? I'm just trying to focus and not- Yeah, you look bored. <laughs> um Okay, swimmers. Swimmers, swimmers remind swimmers. me of Australian word for swimsuits. That's what they're called? I don't know. I just think of it. Can I think of an Australian in voice Australian going- accent? Hurry up, go. Oh get your that's not Australian. <laughs> Oi, go get your swimmers. <laughs> oh, that was really good. <laughs> We're gonna go swim with the crocs in our swimmers. I'm so impressed. Wow. <laughs> maybe I'm drunk too. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> or maybe it's New Zealand. Oh, maybe. You sound very New Zealand right now. Okay. I think it's the same. I'm sorry, everyone in New Zealand. <laughs> I didn't want these to be called bather paintings uh, because I feel that's too much connected with the history of art. Yes, Catherine, it is. I love these paintings. Me too. They're so great. Like this one on the right hand side that's all minimal. No, I actually really like the one on the left, which seems surprising for me. I was gonna say that too. Yeah, I would expect you to like the one on the right or the or this one on the right bottom. My favorite favorite though is the top left. It's the best. And it's really big, not that that makes it better, but mm. you know, like it it is it's not just like a little painting. So she said, I didn't... Yeah, she already read that, right? Uh, People reference Mark Rothko because of the washy color fields and how she divides color sections. (laughs) Yeah. So not so much in this left one, but like on the right one, this one called Upright Swimmers with Mother, which is like a 2016 painting. It's like a darker, deeper blue on the bottom third. And then the top two thirds is like this lighter, dustier blue. And then the figures are on top of that. And same with this one called Couple Beach. It's like this blue on the bottom and halfway up, it's like a 
neutral cream brownish with a little bit of like orangey on the bottom and then a couple holding hands in the middle uh, and then like their swimsuits so she must just paint the color fields first and then use this like orangey ochre type color to paint the bodies and then excluding so it's just the body parts and excluding the swimsuit part so the swimsuit is really just confused about where the background is and where the foreground is so her swimsuit and his little like speedo thing are just the background colors yeah and they have no faces they're just blank and in the one called upright swimmers with mother it's the opposite where her arms and her legs are colored and her swimsuit is colored and her hair is colored but she has no face or neck uh, then i wrote this have i said how i feel yet once we get to the swimmers i'm totally in love she captures so much feeling in such broad strokes that's me that's a quote of me here's a quote of her way better these are very brave ways to make a painting and that gave me the self-confidence to do that myself to not try for it to be right but to make it expressive of something i think about why we love judy garland so much it's because she's so open she's so human she's not perfect i think at the end of the day what people admire and value is personal openness i think if in any field if you get a whiff of someone being ingenuine and having these ulterior motives whatever they may be it makes it people suspicious and i think more mm-hmm. on a primal level like you want to be able to trust the people you're surrounded by because if you don't that basically means death or potential danger for you for sure did you listen to the episode of dax that was talking about how gossiping is like a human evolution thing they were basically talking about how gossiping is a way for people to, back in the day, if someone did something disingenuous and someone maybe heard about it or whatever, gossiping was a way to protect everybody from that person. Like, say this person is in power. They are, like, heading up the tribe or whatever and making decisions for everybody. If we gossip about that per- if we hear something happens with that person, it's a way for everyone to be like, maybe we shouldn't trust this person. Ooh, yeah, exactly. Everyone's I'm not like a person that goes around and talks a lot about that type of shit, but when it does happen in a certain sphere, I'm like, yeah, oh, I want to know. Yeah, I mean, I think there's multiple things at play whether it's humanizing someone that doesn't seem like us. You like know, when you hear you mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know, when you hear certain stories you're like, oh, I can relate to that. And also people up on a pedestal, there's something satisfying about seeing the crumble too. Mm-hmm. Like I loved it when your dog was just as difficult <laughs> as mine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. You just want to feel on the same level as people. When you feel like people are better than you. And I think truly it reflects more about where we are in a mental, emotional, psychological state. Mm-hmm. Because I think it is possible to be truly happy for other people and want to see them succeed. And even like, I love this quote by Rupi Carr. Mm-hmm. She wrote this short piece that was talking about other women succeeding. And she was like, your successes are not my failures. Right. And I think that's very powerful to keep in mind. Like we can cheer each other on and it doesn't reflect 
our failures and our shortcomings. And I think it would be a better place if we could all be more positive and not try to tear each other down, but actually continuously build each other up for a stronger, better community. Or even tear ourselves down. Because I think more than... Mm -hmm. Like, I think I feel in a lot of ways truly happy for people. That part isn't as hard for me. It's more like, although I am truly happy, then I secretly will be like, well, you suck as a person, Olive. And, And so it's like hard to, as much as I'm truly happy for them and that like it doesn't, seeing it still like brings me down in some way. So it's even like a lot about self-confidence and loving yourself Mm -hmm. and being like I'm on a journey and I'm doing my own thing and whatever and it doesn't have to be any of the in fact it shouldn't be any of those things all right okay so she says she's trying to talk about more universal themes great so are we about stuff that is bigger than everyday life she says some people saw my paintings at Canada Gallery to be about crossing over about death The title of one painting in the exhibition was Fear of Waves. I think that painting was about fear, not necessarily of waves, because there's an absurdity to the fear of waves. It was more about showing people being fearful, running away from something. That interests me a lot. As I told you, running away and being fearful has been a part of my life story. It is bigger than the beach. So obviously she'd been running away from things for a while and then suddenly turns to face them. Okay, so here is another version of these swimmers. There's like these spacey swimmers. It's nighttime. They're in like a pool. People are in this. To me, it reminds me of like a blow-up pool. Mm -hmm. There's just this blow-up pool in space. It's called Fathers. That one's on a drop cloth. So you can see up close it's like stitched in one spot. It's just that cheapy drop Mm -hmm. cloth thing. This other one's called Floaters. It's just two people, a woman and a man, and they're floating with their face up in this blue water, like three, two quarter, two thirds up of the canvas, and then the last top third is like stars and colorful. Orbs. It looks like little galaxies. Yeah, and she uses you can't. I guess you can kind of see it, but when I first saw it, I didn't think that it was fluorescence, but she definitely lo- uses a lot of fluorescent paint, hmm. which sort of comes across but not yeah. completely she says i do think putting people in bathing suits makes them very vulnerable they are exposed i'm not naming what class of american society they're part of i really want to separate myself from recreational swimming and people at the beach that is why it has been helpful to put up some of my swimmer paintings in outer space on a more epic scale i'm talking about the universe and these people are somehow way out there a lot of figures are kind of buoyant and very relaxed That's one thing I don't associate with myself. I find it very hard to relax. So it's a fantastical world. Hmm. So she's kind of painting what she wants. Yeah, I mean, I think that's clear. If anyone were to be hanging out in space, I think there's a certain level of anxiety. (laughs) Yes, for sure. (laughs) There's no air. That scares me for sure to not be able to breathe. Yeah, there's literally nothing beneath you. Yep. Especially if you're in water, you you could drown... Or you could drown in space, air, the non-air of space. You could drown either way. Just a lot of ways to die. You're never safe. And they're just like hanging out. They're maybe talking about what they had for dinner. So this is Arthur Pena, uh, a conversation, Catherine Bradford, in New American Paintings. 
He says, why is vulnerability important to you? And she says, I think as an emotional state, vulnerability is exciting. It's the opposite of pretension and sureness. I was a senior critic. This is my favorite. I was a senior critic at Yale last year, and once a week, the entire MFA faculty would gather around in what they call a pit crit. And sometimes I would single out a piece and say how extraordinary I thought the work was and applaud it, and I would be contradicted by the faculty. I remember that one person said that the work was the weakest piece or it would simply be ignored. I'm not saying I lost my self-confidence, but I had to question whether I was crazy or not. But I figured part of having a group critique is to get a variety of, of opinions. So when I say that my honest reaction to something is what I see, I'm an artist and this is how I feel. That just makes me sad that... It should be a safe space and it should be a space for having a dialogue and sharing ideas, even if they're contradictory. But in this situation, it doesn't feel like it's a productive space, it, you know, for a faculty member to feel almost personally attacked to a point where she's having to question her own confidence. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if I would want to be involved in something but like that. But that's like, the art world, isn't it? I mean, that's what this podcast is, is... P the, the art world in many ways unfortunately as awesome as it can be it can also be make you feel fucking stupid all the time where they're like no that's not good or yes it is like your your immediate reaction to something and then one person who feels like they have authority and then everyone else out of fear is like yeah 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 i agree with that person mm -hmm. it's like if we could just have a conversation at that point, people can counter and talk about what they get from it, but I don't think that should take away from other people's reads. That's what's so great about being in the art world is there's a variety of reads and interpretations. Uh, so then Arthur Penny says, maybe it's about rooting for the underdog, which is about having the opportunity to see that the human experience can thrive in the muck. A team pulling together for the win or an unknown actor nominated in their field. It's a sense that anybody could be their true selves and still matter. I like she, that. Me too. She says, or still communicate. I'm glad you brought up the example of the actor because I've noticed in other fields other than visual arts, there's a lot of emotion. There's crying, sentimentality, nostalgia. In the opera, there's people belting out their feelings about the slightest things. And a lot of times that's taboo in the visual arts. Hmm. So these two pieces are called Roast and Bonfire. It's almost the exact same painting, kind of. It's just like this huge bonfire in the middle, like straight up into the starry sky. And people just gathered around facing it. One is all men and one is, I think it's all men in that one. And one is all women. Oh, and also someone was talking about her figures and how they have this like loneliness and apathy to them maybe because they're faceless or just how they're standing or their body language and stuff but mm -hmm. i feel like a lot of her work is about being together at the same time of feeling alone but it made me think of this good type of alone like you know when you're camping that type of happy aloneness where you just feel peaceful and you can breathe and stuff yeah i think the more we can put ourselves in a situation where we can have these reflective quiet still social but moments to ourselves can be really powerful and we live in a world that tries to feel the opposite you know we're constantly being bombarded with images and headlines and movies and music and just people texting that and calling us like yeah. we can never really get away from people trying to talk to us which is fine 
but well i think it's fine but we also need to carve out those moments for us and to fuel us at a very basic level yes you know we need silence and we need time to reflect and sit with ourselves and our emotions and not just constantly have our attention diverted from thing to thing to thing because then we aren't allowing ourselves to process emotions Mm -hmm. and that's where i think people can often get stunted i think so and i think that's part of what makes making work so enjoyable is that you many times are using your hand and like concentrating on a thing and it can be really peaceful in that way what do these make you feel like these bonfire ones like a cult they do right (laughs) totally (laughs) i'm just standing around with no emotion looking at this fire we have no life we are dedicated to our lord and savior just waiting (laughs) just waiting for brandon fouché to come out and talk about dogs yep okay friends and strangers this was last year at canada that was the name of the show so she eliminates the landscape like these are very based on the landscape and the people are existing in it and in Mm. friends and strangers she eliminates the landscape and it's much more color fields but these look much more like philip gustin knee paintings Mm -hmm. yes so figures go from being a small little punctuation mark to taking up much more of the composition when she hears this she says you know i think i have more self-confidence than i did before it's better that than the other way around i think so john yao is hyperallergic. john yao says the other association that bradford's painting summoned was with lovely fruity flavors of sorbet pink grapefruit raspberry blueberry elderberry meyer lemon blackberries and pomegranate just to name a few Bradford has started using colors to evoke those summery flavors, as well as the colors that one finds in Martha Rothko's abstract painting. <laughs> You're having Jesus so fucking much. Christ with Martha Rothko today. Mark. Mark Rothko. Emotionally, her palette goes from cheery to moody with a few acidic hues thrown in to complicate our response. I love the description of this acidity and berries palette. palette. Yeah, like a- <laughs> Yeah, like a a taste palette to visual qualities and yeah. process. It feels like very much like a synesthesia moment. Yes. That's why I included it because I was like, damn, that's a nice way to describe it. Yeah. So he says that the changes in the most recent work include subject matter, palette, and process, which amounts to nearly everything. But that her work hasn't changed because she has this ability to get in touch with our deepest emotions. He writes that her work is intensified in feeling and he has this really cool quote about how her colors juxtapose the content saying, quote, steeping what might initially seem sweet and arbitrary in sadness and isolation. So in All of Us, which is this pink painting, a 10 foot diptych, a crew of elongated and featureless figures march across a pink expanse. The characters nonchalantly ignore a naked female character. She's drawn across the composition and lays recumbent on a field of white spikes or perhaps buoyed by sprays, sprays of breast milk. The indifference of the figures to one another in an otherwise jaunty painting suggests a loneliness and isolation felt even amongst the crowd. That's from the Canada press release. It also feels very reflective of like trauma and sexual 
assaultness, like the the avoidance of yeah, like let's not look at her naked and uh, and a suffering. <laughs> yeah, I mean she's like face down on spikes or whatever but everyone else is like moving past her and mm-hmm. it just seems this like turn your attention away from this uncomfortable subject that we don't want to take a look at yes and that's exactly what she's kind of alluded to is like um the politicalness in this whole series or what in this show mm-hmm. it's just like let's not look at what's going on here let's not pay attention to how these people are being treated or feeling or whatever Mm -hmm. and she's out there super vulnerable and sad and naked and obviously something wrong has been done and she and they're just like goodbye gotta get to work (laughs) gotta go i got i got accounting shit to do in my pink pants This is a quote, says, Bradford's figures occupy spaces less as individuals, but as chunks of humanity. Each one seems lost in some sort of incomprehensible social or bureaucratic predicament. Dinner tables, business meetings, and days of leisure on the shore are all equally weighted with both angst and suggestion. Bradford's characters can be featureless, but she signals identity through curious and playful depictions of power suits, ties, hijabs, or high heels some figures seemingly stand for vulgar authoritarians while others recline possibly portraits of friends or intimates painted with hints of both humor and pathos these paintings do not preach but offer themselves as residue of psychological introspection so my end feeling is that I'm super inspired by her beginnings because I totally think all the time about, well, I'm 30 and I'm not there yet and I'm all, you know, impatient and shit. And she started in the middle of her life. Uh, I'm inspired by her attitude. She's just, she takes it seriously, but she's also lighthearted and open and listening and writing and asking questions and even though we talked about how uncomfortable I am with being social, I wish mm-hmm. I were that person. I want to go to openings. I want to talk to other artists. It's never too late. We need to go to openings. You guys, if you want to be an artist, just be an artist. Just do it. Just climb out your window and do just it. Climb out your window. <laughs> Take your babies Run with you. to any structure that's nearby. If it's a barn. Set shop. Draw naked people. That's a sure way to be an artist. 100%. The more naked, Olive's the been there. Hey, I started out drawing naked people. It was the best way. Not that I did anything with my life except make this podcast. I feel like like I can't put my finger on her. Like he said, she's reinventing herself. And her work changes so much from series to series that even though whatever, she's a certain age and she's still working, there's still going to be new material coming out. It's going to be surprising. Yes, definitely. And I think she's so in touch with like she's they were saying that she had all these younger artist friends and stuff she's just really trying to keep her finger on the pulse of this thing and Mm -hmm. never lose touch of that and not because she wants to be important because she's so interested in it so that's the key you just got to have a real genuine interest in what you're making yeah it that's my last line that i write that she has this childlike curiosity and openness but with maturity behind it so she's she's this mature woman you know in her 70s but she has this sparkle in her eye or whatever that's like i want to learn more and i don't know everything and i want to keep growing and making stuff so 
You know, that's what people say about Steven Spielberg. Really? People who look at him like face to face say they always see like a twinkle in his eye. Wow. That most adults don't have. Like he still has that childlike essence to him. Anyway, thanks for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. Hope you liked this episode. If you want Lindsay to talk in an Australian accent for the rest of our podcast, just click subscribe and she will do it. God, I got <laughs> nervous. <laughs> I knew it. I just wanted her to make her uncomfortable. Yeah. My main goal Mission is Mission accomplished. <laughs> it's pretty easy, to be honest. <laughs> Next week, we got a, a good, old, good old goodie for you. Uh, a swimmer, the, another a fellow a swimmer. swimmer, boy, the name of Mark Bradford. I'm so excited. How old is he? Let's just do it right now. <laughs> he was born when? <laughs> um, thanks, guys, for listening. We love you. Rate, sub- review, subscribe. Mm-hmm. Bye, bye.